This is an AMI podcast. I'm Dave Brown, and this is a podcast version of AMI's Morning Show, now with Dave Brown. Catch the live broadcasts weekdays from 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. I don't know about you, but I find myself using GPS constantly when it comes to navigation, especially when I'm trying to get familiar with a new place. But even places that I am familiar with, I still find I'm checking that GPS pretty regularly. Here's the thing. Sometimes in your journeys, you may find yourself off grid then that GPS technology gets uh, pretty darn spotty. Environmental contributor Lawrence Gunther recently presented at the Accessible Parks Conference on this issue. And, of course, Lawrence is the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther and joins us now to talk about this issue. Hey, good morning, Lawrence. Good morning, Dave. So, Lawrence, set the scene for me here. What are the limits of GPS systems when it comes to orienting off-grid? Well, on on grid with maps, right? You're on a sidewalk. I mean, they, no one names the sidewalk, but the streets are all named. So when you're walking along a sidewalk, you know, you're going in one direction or the other. You're going forward or backwards. You're not veering left or right off the sidewalk. You're following the streets. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty simple to relocate yourself in the computer's mind, you know, next to a street. So they know where you are all the time, what's coming, what's around you in terms of businesses, addresses, things like that. It's all on the map. Take away the map and what you got is a gps system that can tell you where you are now and where you just were it can also tell you uh what's around you if it's been waypointed if there's gps coordinates for certain things certain features that are around you but it can't necessarily tell you you know where where they are in relation to you that's where it starts to use artificial intelligence and that's where it gets a little bit uh, you have to start dialing it in a bit with the technology and very few gps systems do that well so what's it going to take to start rolling out more of those waypoint markers and some of the more specific ai navigation on bicycle paths walking paths hiking trails and parks etc you need to have someone that can go to the path and create a series of waypoints. So on a map, it might look like a line. You see a path, you see a trail, uh, even, you know, a river, a shoreline. It, there's a line. It all looks linear. You know, it might flow. It might undulate a bit. But in GPS systems, it's a series of dots, like paint by numbers. You put a dot, you, you put another dot, you draw a line between the dots. That's how GPS works. You navigate from dot to dot or what we call waypoints. Now, how many of those waypoints do you need? It all depends on how many twirls and swirls that path takes, right? Or how many obstacles are along the way? How many things are around you that you need to know about? So, you know, creating a waypoint map it can be quite complicated if you're in a situation where there's lots of features on an open path and an open field on the water. Less so because you can create a, a waypoint and then if it's a line of sight, clear line of sight to the next one, you can say make the next waypoint, you know, 100 meters away, 200 meters away. You're just going in a straight line from point to point. Mm. But if there's a lot of things going on, yeah, it's a lot more complicated. So I think about the Google car 
that was so popular, say, about 10 years ago that would drive around and map cities. And that's largely how we got a lot of this mainstream, easy-to-access GPS tech, because a car with a bunch of sensors and cameras on it rolled up and down the streets. So why Mm -hmm. couldn't we just put that technology on, like, a hiker or a biker on these trails? That's a really good question, and and it comes down to the limitations of GPS itself. There's two things that limit the quality of your GPS. One is, do you have a clear line of sight to at least three satellites above you? So if you're in a serious forest, right, with lots of giant trees overhead, you know, tree canopy, that can limit your GPS coverage, just like if you're in a, a tunnel of high-rise buildings downtown. You know, you're, you're limiting your GPS coverage. It's getting a little sketchy. Next thing you know, you're one street over. The other thing is, just the sheer accuracy of GPS. If you want to really know exactly where you are, the elevation, the location, really pinpoint your location, you need a number of GPS uh, antennas and then a computer that can take all the information from those GPS antennas and create a sort of a medium. So this one says this, this one says that. We pump it all into a computer. The average says this. So this is probably exactly where you are. With one antenna on one device, you could be 10 meters to the left of it, 10 meters to the right of it, or what often happens is you're getting close to it and it says you've arrived, yeah. but you're still 10 meters <laughs> away, right? <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've been told I'm somewhere and I'm like, oh, I don't think I'm there. I don't, I don't think, uh, Penelope, you have not quite brought me exactly where I need to be. Uh, Lawrence, what about some alternatives for folks who do end up liking to spend time off grid, but a lot of this place, these places have not been mapped properly yet? Are there blended options available? Yeah, you know, if you think about what's on the ground itself, if you think about a path, paths have texture. It's like a sidewalk. You have a sidewalk with edge. On one side, there might be grass or a building. On the other side, it might dip down a curb onto the pavement. So you have these textural indicators. Paths often work the same way, right? You know, you can have a path that's just a very well-grooved trench into the uh, forest trail. You can have a raised path, like accessible paths, you know, where they apply gravel and level it all out. That's really useful. You, You can stay on the path with relatively ease, uh, boardwalks, same idea, railings, ropes, all that works well. Um, tactile maps are a great idea, but you seldom see those being handed out just from the cost of producing those things. And I'm hoping, you know, three, uh, 3d printing and, yeah, and waterproof yeah. is going to f- fix that solution someday. But, you know, I'd love I, to have tactile maps of Lawrence, all my favorite lakes. Lawrence, I've been hearing the 3d printed map thing for like a decade now. They're like, Oh yeah, yeah. we're right there. We've got the scale figured out. <laughs> and yet yeah. like you just never see it necessarily in practice yet. Well, how much information can you put on there? And, and you start to add Braille or large print tactile and, and, a, and a map can get huge real fast. Yeah, yeah. And then it's impractical to actually bring out while you're trying to, while you're trying to hike because one mm. of the primary rules of hiking is don't bring too much stuff. Yeah, a giant unfoldable map. (laughs) Giant unfoldable map. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Lawrence, so you had a chance to present at this Accessible Parks conference. We actually spoke to a few of the organizers uh, beforehand, which was really, really neat to get a preview. How did it go and what did you present about when you were there? Well, I, you know, you, you go to a park and everyone loves to go to the parks, but what's the main sort of little bit of anxiety, the thing that gives you some excitement, you know, when you go to a park? Bears. It, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like bears aside okay bears, bears aside okay 
<laughs> you you you, you want to go for a hike, right? You're, there's a path, there's a trail, there's a lake you want to uh, go fishing on or boating on, maybe a river that you want to paddle on. You know, it's all about the adventure, the orientation, the uh, the you know the the hike, right? That's that's everyone wants to do that, whether it's your bike or on foot or on a canoe or whatever, paddleboard, kayak. It's it's that idea of going, starting somewhere and ending up somewhere, and that's so much fun. And, and there's a lot of information signage and and maps being created to make sure the average person can and can successfully do this without getting lost that's what parks do right they give you enough information just enough they spend enough to make sure most people get to the end without having to call for help mm. but what does that look like for us you know with vision loss deaf blind blind people what could that look like you know braille on sign large print on sign it's not great if you don't know where the sign is right mm -hmm. you know let's, mm -hmm. so and then uh, so Maybe we can work on uh, putting together a few of these ideas and creating a downloadable waypoint GPS trail that you know, you know, in advance. That also includes, you know, the audio stuff that you get. Get sometimes when you visit a park, you can get the audio machine with the headset, and yeah, as yeah. you walk around, it GPS triggers, and you say, "Oh, you're now standing behind a, a beside a building that was built 250 years ago," or, and it tells you about the building, and, and that's a great thing. So. If you take the combination of the, the tour and the information and that GPS, what's around you information, and the waypoint information so you can get around with direction. So you say, you get, you get to this waypoint, now you have to progress in a certain direction, follow this, listen for that, give you information. Now, the, the, the whole issue with that is there's liability, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. If you oh, yeah. <laughs> send a blind person into the Algonquin Forest with one of these, you know, audio described GPS waypoint systems, you know, that runs on 16 batteries, uh, <laughs> yeah. who's going to fish that guy out? I, you know? I, I think, like, there's certainly something you can do with re in regard to beacons as well. You know, we see some of that beacon technology that exists in yeah. places like malls or in public transit stations. I think there's probably a blended approach you can take, but certainly there's also a matter of personal responsibility that we want the world to be completely accessible to us, but there's other moments where it's like, there are cliffs here. <laughs> we don't want you necessarily <laughs> wandering off this cliff looking for a beacon, yeah. right? No, not to be yeah. demeaning to sort of the blind hiking experience, but there, yeah. there has to be compromise made. And Lawrence, not that I would ever necessarily say that uh, the United States and Florida has anything figured out, but I did take a tour of one of their national parks, their Everglade National Park. Oh my goodness, this it's almost 10 years ago now because time is a flat circle and just keeps yeah. on moving forward. And they did a lot of things in regards to ease of movement through a path pathway, but still making sure there was sort of not gigantic, but appropriate fencing in regards to uh, not necessarily falling into an alligator pond, even though the alligators <laughs> were all over the trail. So as a blind person, uh, it was good to have a guide. So you weren't walking right into an alligator sunbathing. Oh yeah. Or you go to Yellowstone, right? And all those gurgling pits of, uh, of a sulfuric uh, 140 degrees Fahrenheit water. I mean, they just found a, a foot with a shoe that floated up from some unfortunate hiker that stepped off the boardwalk and there's no railings there, right? It's just yeah. a boardwalk and then kerplunk, you're gone. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely nature has its, uh, has its dangers. There's no doubt about yeah. that. But uh, we're, we're allowed to take risks, right? Uh, uh, I mean, we're growing up. Yeah, that's true. Did, did you enjoy the experience at the Accessible Parks Conference? 
it was super well organized, like very detailed. They had practice sessions. They pumped through a lot of presenters, huge presenter lists on lots of really interesting details around accessibility. And I really encourage them to make those presentation links alive, not just, you know, a whole hour of four presenters, but, you know, break it down by presenter and organize it by theme. That would be a wonderful way to, for researchers to follow up on that wow, stuff. A little bit of a digital library advice from Lawrence Gunther. I'm doing some <laughs> archiving there. Hey, uh, Lawrence, what's coming up on the next episode of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther? I don't know if you ever watched those fishing shows on TV, but Bob Azumi had the real fishing show for yeah, 30 years, yeah. right? I would say, I would so say, his... I would say that, that was the fishing show on TV. That was oh, the yeah. one. Yeah, he retired last year. So um, his 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 niece Mariko Azumi, she's this is her she's starting her third fishing show, and she's going fishing with her uh, five year old daughter Yale and her two year old son Tiger, all over Canada and and parts of other parts of the world. So uh, and she's really promoting this idea of. If, Getting your kids out there and teaching them the outdoors, teaching them to fish as early as you can. It's, she's just an amazing. So she's our guest. And uh, and we're going to talk about fairy circles. Love it. Get people comfortable with the outdoors nice and early so they don't become like me and crave concretes. Lawrence, thank you for this. <laughs> You've been listening to Now with Dave Brown. Hit the subscribe button on any podcast platform and leave us a rating and a review. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.